Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker and folks on today's show for the fourth time. Not unprecedented, because we have had some people on five times, but almost unprecedented, penultimate unpre- unprecedented. Mr. Joe Woodard, fan favorite Joe Woodard. Fran, how you doing? I'm great, Ed. You know, we promised Joe when we had him on the first time back in 2016 that we would reduce the time gap because we had him on the second time, 2019, and then just last year in September. So See? we keep narrowing the time. So I, next every promise, quarter, Joe. the next every 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 week, and then he takes over the show, Ron, and we're out of work. <laughs> a hostile takeover. A hostile takeover. Joe, uh, let me read a, bri- a the very brief bio because you've been on a couple times. Joe is the uh, host of the Woodard Institute, Woodard Alliance, and one of the leading conferences for small business advisors called Scaling New Heights. We're going to talk a lot about that, that today. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Joe Woodard. Always great to be here, guys. Well, let's talk about it. Let's jump in. You're you're back with a live version of Scaling New Heights, and it's gonna we're gonna it's gonna be great. We're gonna be seen and not just viewed in three dimensions. It's gonna be awesome. So, what do you got planned for us? Well, it's going to be, you know, uh, our post-COVID show, right? Just like everybody else is having in the space. I was at BDO Alliance. I'll be at AICPA Engage. And definitely people are, pun intended, re-engaging, right? They're they're showing up now to live on-premises shows. And that's no exception with this one. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't know if it's just sort of a little bit of pent-up budget and energy, but we'll take it while we have it. We just emerged now as the nation's largest accounting technology showcase um not the largest exhibit floor but the largest showcase of accounting technologies under a single roof um now maybe when i come back on in three months we will have lost the crown but for right now that's the crown we're wearing and we're very excited about it so it'll be our biggest uh, show floor ever and um it is also going to be a packed house on the attendance side it's going to be one for the record books but hey what i want to clarify something uh we actually have done premises shows every year uh, we've never skipped a year. So 2020 and 2021, oh, we really? both were on-prem. All yeah. right. So you've, you've had yeah, at least some presence, but you also did them online. Yes, Is we had a hybrid in 2020 and a premises only in 2021. And right in the middle of the the, the, the height of the Delta variant, uh, we had uh, 750 accountants under the roof. Um, so... Uh, but but in 2020, we had 200 accountants under the roof. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I'll call that a win in yeah. the fall of 2020. Can we, can we think back for a minute where, where we all were in our headspace there? Can I also say, though, interestingly enough, we didn't have one attendee or one sponsor get sick in the fall of 2020, not one, because uh, we were all ready to do the contact tracing. We were ready to do all the stuff. Not one single person got sick. Well, that's great. That's great. And that was a little bit before vaccines hit, right? Yes, so, it was before vaccines. Yeah, amazing. So, And I think I asked you this the last time, but I, th- I, th- I think it's worth continuing to explore this, Joe. And what, what have we learned about the accounting profession, especially those that like attend your show during COVID? 
Yeah. So what, what I learned is, of course, those people that actually will show to show up to an on-premises show um, in the middle, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, they're they're an interesting kind of, of mentality. I mean, those are folks that are unstoppable. They're, you know, they're entrepreneurial uh, to the extreme uh, risk tolerance. Right. So so you kind of get an interesting sub demographic slice when you do what I did. Right. Um, and, and it was fun talking with those people because more so than others, you heard conversations about uh, technology experimentation, about taking big leaps on things that are um, kind of next horizon technology the solutions. Uh, for, for, to give you an example, um, where in a normal conference, the big conversation might be CCH, Thomson, Reuters, Canopy, or Carbon, the, the, the predominant conversation at our Scaling 2020 was ClickUp. You know, so you got a little bit of this pioneer builder kind of thing. And I don't know if that was coincidental, but I, I, I think it's an interesting observation. And so is, is that in the last year or so, so since the, let's call it the recovery, COVID recovery, you're still in it, but the COVID recovery period, are you seeing a lot of that now pay some benefits that people were, were so far ahead of the tech or getting ahead of the technology curve? And now they're, they've got some of this stuff in place? Absolutely. So, of course, I think everybody knows, you probably have said this, have many guests say this, that it accelerated our adoption uh, for the bookkeeping and accounting professions. It, it accelerated our adoption to where maybe we were about five years behind Australia. Now we're maybe about two years behind Australia. Um, and so uh, so that was that was huge. And and I'm sure that you guys have observed the same thing and your listeners have observed the same thing. But but what I can speak to that's a little bit unique is the bookkeeping community, particularly and these folks were already, or maybe it was just the fact that I run a tech show. I saw a, a sort of the creme de la creme already. But even among my folks that have been technology driven for years, um, I found them not not just embrace technology, guys. They were ready to do that already. What I found them doing was getting much more intentional, much more careful, and much more structured and standardized with what they did in their technology. And that's probably the biggest change. Now for the CPA firms, I think it went from under adopt to adopt. For the bookkeepers, at least in my demographic, it went from adopt to adopt more strategically. And when you say that, were they being a little bit more um, narrow in the, in, the, in the technology stack that they were, were choosing to implement and saying to potential customers, hey, if you're not gonna adopt this technology stack, I'm not gonna serve you? That's really what I saw, Ed. I saw people really digging their heels in now and saying, you know, and I've used this metaphor, I believe, on this show before. You can come to my Starbucks, but you're not going to use your own Keurig machine, right? Uh, you're going to use our equipment. We know what we're doing. We're going to make it. And um, and I think whatever it was, whether it was that they were consumed with PPP and they just couldn't take any more clients, and that made them more selective, or if the fact that they just had a little bit of a minute there to step back and look at it from a new perspective, like all of humanity got a chance to do with so many things in their in their lives, um, whatever caused it, I'm really impressed with how bookkeepers are starting to say, like the tax preparers have for years, don't worry about how I get it done. I got this, right? Um, and if you do worry too much about how I'm getting it done, maybe you just need to hire a bookkeeper inside your building. Yeah, it, and and I'm sure you're you're you're. Uh... Your folks are, are on the, let's call the right-hand side of this curve. But uh, here's an observation that, that has really come to me in the last three to six months or so in the conversations that I have with both accountants and so people who are CPAs and who are trying to do more and more client advisory services work. 
and the and bookkeepers remember most of whom are uh, that i encounter are far more technologically savvy there's got to be this grand middle of bookkeepers who who refuse to adapt the technology stack because i hear so, i hear so many complaints about both sides like from some from bookkeepers and from accountants who are cpas to say that bookkeeper whoever that book didn't know what they were doing and there was a it's a very weird conversation to have because all the bookkeepers that i know totally get it and are in fact sometimes more strategic thinking thinkers than accounting uh, accountants are yeah but you know you're with sage i run a technology show we are in a bubble where that's concerned right yeah. i mean the people that you encounter that are sage partners and the people that i encounter that are partners with a, a variety of gl products and a lot of quickbooks pro advisors you know, they really are the bleeding edge. And I think sometimes we forget that there's this whole mass of bookkeepers out there who are under engaged in all this, this narrative. Um, you know, it is hard to count these folks, really hard to count them because a lot of them work out of their basements. A lot of them are schedule C disregarded entities and everything else. But, you know, I've heard counts of everything from 200,000 professional bookkeepers to over 500,000 professional bookkeepers, depending on how you define it. Well, you know, QuickBooks Connect's going to be uh, probably jumping up and down to get 2,500 of them this year. Um, and they own the U.S. market. ZeroCon's going to get, what, about 700 of them? I'm going to get about 1,000 of them. So we aren't seeing the mass. Mm. And, um, you know, we're seeing the creme de la creme. Which I guess is good for you because that means there's a lot of room for expansion. You would hope. But <laughs> what I have unfortunately found, and even – even people with marketing arms as mighty as into it have found is they can't get those people to engage. Um, I mean, there are 500,000 members of the QuickBooks Pro Advisor program in the United States uh, over that. So why do they only have 2,500 people at QuickBooks Connect historically? Um, you know, it, it's not a fault of theirs. It's a great program and they market it well and it's their Pro Advisor program, but it speaks not to into it. It speaks to what's happening with the, with the bookkeepers. Um, as to the fact that they're not they're not forward thinking or they're not intentional or they're just too they don't have capacity. There's so many reasons why I'm trying to surmise they might not show up. Mm -hmm. And of course, they just said that, that those QuickBooks Pro Advisors, they, there's a certification process that they have to go through to get that. So th there must be some qualification, but even even those that are that are quote certified don't seem to come to the conference. There are weird. tens of thousands of those, over fifty thousand certified, over twenty thousand, as best I can figure, on the advanced certified level. But see, all those programs are offered online. So, you know, I think that's really what's what's driving this is when I can get everything I need without getting on an airplane. And, and so what we have to do is we have to get this group to see that the community that they build and the resources that they muster and the interactions that they have um, are important enough for them to say this is another way to learn. And we've got about two minutes left before our, the end of our segment here. So we've talked about the, the, the things that, they, that, that uh, accounting professionals, especially those in the, in the bookkeeping area, have gotten right. What, what, have they, what have they missed in the last two years? What, what, what opportunities did they not take advantage yeah. of? Yeah, well, they didn't charge whenever they were supporting people with uh, PPP. That's, that's <laughs> mm. <laughs> that was a great segue to, I'm sure, what Ron's going to talk about in a minute, because Ron can't talk without saying something about price. But they, <laughs> they, they, uh, they just didn't, they didn't, it wasn't that they didn't price right, they just didn't price it, right? And, um, 
and and I get it, right? Uh, we, we've done a disk assessment on a scientific sized sampling, over 500 bookkeepers we've done disk assessments on off the charts. Over 80% of them are coming up in the rescuer demographic. So this would be sort of the, the S side with a blend of I. Uh, but the most important thing is the way that that translates out to the fact that they're rescuers. And you would think they'd be like off the charts C's, but um, they are. But they, but they're CSs or CIs if you know your disk assessment, and so what they see themselves as as is still, you know, when they were employees, um, that they were they sort of the, anything the boss threw at them they were supposed to do, and there's so much so many bookkeepers who still have the mindset of whatever the client throws at me I'm just supposed to do, and I'm not supposed to make extra money for it, and that's a framework in their mind they have to change. Yeah, that's it. That goes back to self-esteem. I think we, we did a show on that way back in our first season because it's such an important topic. We maybe think about revisiting that. Anyway, we're up against our first break. want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. We do have all 290, I'm sorry, 392 of our previous episodes up there that you can listen to. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for us at keyword voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and download Oh, oh my fraud. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise 
Welcome back, everybody. We're here for the fourth time with Joe Woodard and Scaling New Heights. Joe, I'm really looking forward to that next month. Ed and I will be there. TSOE will be there live. It's going to be a blast uh, in Orlando, Florida. And, you know, I subscribe to your newsletter and I see some of the courses that you do online, webinars and things. So I got to ask you, Joe, why can't accountants see? See what? Just in general? The title of one of your courses was I Can't See. Oh, <laughs> now that's it for us. <laughs> yeah. So the I Can't See, yeah, that was a fun one. And um, and that was about these practice challenges that they have. And I actually list 10 of those out. People can actually see this list of challenges at order.com slash webinars. Um, the, the events are live only. You can't watch the recording there, but you can watch the, you can see the list of challenges. And they can't see, Ron, because they don't have the kind of processes in place and systems in place to manage their practice that they should. So, um, with, you know, with full transparency, though this was 99% educational, as all of our webinars are, they do have a sponsor. And that's just like your podcast, do right? And so, the, the, the sponsor in this case was, was Mango, uh, used to be called Imagine Time, and it's a practice management solution. And, and there's a CPA who helped to develop that. And he and I bantered around these pain points the whole time. And then I said, oh, and by the way, this guy developed this thing called Mango. That's the way we roll. But the point is, he this was a practicing CPA who couldn't solve their visit, his own visibility problems without building a piece of software. Back in the day, there, there just wasn't anything like you have to shop for now. And so um, they can't see because they don't have the operational metrics they need. They can't see because they don't measure um, data on a real-time level. They're not tracking what's happening in their practice right then, right there. Yes, they have the financials. I would argue that most CPAs don't even, uh, the cobbler's kids go barefoot. I'd argue that most CPAs don't even look at their own financials and run ratios on them, even as they're doing those for their clients. Um, So some of it's intentionality and some of it's systems. But Ron, I'm going to come back and say, uh, I'm so glad you raised it. Because this CPA said, ultimately, you can't see unless you track time. And, um, and so I know you've heard this a thousand times, right? And so I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, having conversation with him. And I'm not going to necessarily banter back and forth with him because it was sort of this thing of, okay, well, it, I'm here to hear his viewpoint. I'm here to interview him. But his viewpoint was, was a challenge that I want you to address. I'm sure you've addressed it before. He's, he, he said one of the look forward metrics that you, that you need is to measure adaptive capacity, not just now, uh, but capacity overall, capacity, adaptive capacity, not just now, but like cash flow four weeks from now, six weeks from now, eight weeks from now. And how can you know how much capacity your people have if you don't know how much time they're spending on their projects? Have you been hit with that one before? Oh, yeah. A million times. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm probably, interested to hear what you say. Ed's more qualified to answer this because it's, it's a, I think, more of a project management. But projecting capacity it means into the future. We have no time. I mean, no problem with estimating capacity into the future. It's this, it's this idea and this fetidization that accountants have that you have to compare projected to actual and come up with a variance. It does no good to look backwards. What you have to do is project capacity going forward. Hmm. You know, it's all about, it's all about turnaround time. That's why FedEx measures when it drops on your doorstep, not how long it sits on the truck or in the sorting warehouse. So turnaround time is the key performance indicator. Absolutely. The predictive 
indicator mm. is it because you can't pull it off a financial statement. Anything you can pull off a financial statement is by definition a lagging indicator. Yes, Anything exactly. you can pull off a, a timesheet is a lagging indicator. So, you know, we're going back to running your, your firm with your smoke alarm, your cook, you know, timing your cookies with your smoke alarm. By the time you see it on the timesheet, it's no longer manageable. So what matters, and Ed can explain this better than I can, but it's the difference between estimated effort, which is the amount of time we thought reasonably it should take you, versus duration. I give you a project estimated to so take So it's not estimated day. effort versus actual effort. It's estimated effort versus duration. That's right. I, it, you know, if I estimate this should take a day, why did it sit in the firm for four weeks? You know, we don't we don't have a first in, first out with projects. We have a fish first in still here. <laughs> the the still here are the are the bottlenecks. That that's where the system has the kinks. It's just like Elu Goldrat said in the goal, the the fattest kid in the Boy Scout troop determines the pace of the troop. Hmm. The pace of the height. And so, of course, then you just have, you still have to have then what he does have in his product, which is which is the workflow solution. So you can look at percentage completion on tasks and then identify and go microscopically down below the surface level on what happened with this particular task. And did it get stuck at 80 percent completion, 20 percent completion? Those are important things. But but that completion doesn't then have to be measured, you're, we would say, with a timesheet. It's measured right. based off of completion, number of tasks, and how many right. tasks I completed. In, in more real time, and you don't yeah. have to go back and compare it to you know budgeted or projected or whatever. Right. So Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know you um, were supposed to be asking the questions, but I've been dying to no, ask you that no, one. No, okay, no, so. that, that's, that's a great one. I'm glad you brought it up because I know Ed, Ed's addressed that yeah, in, but that's great, why in they much can't greater see. detail. It's systems and proper and systematic use of those systems. Right. Systematic being the key word. Right. Um, they've got it. They, they're, 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 there's a concept in Disney Institute, because I went through Disney Institute, called overmanagement and not micromanagement, overmanagement. And there are six things at Disney that overmanage, like culture being one of them, um, brand being another. This is something that accounting firms have to overmanage, which is the, the, the adoption of their systems and processes and the democratization of those systems and processes mm -hmm. throughout the firm um, so that they don't just have a sort of an adoption and name only. Right. It, that's such a great thing. I'm, glad, I'm so glad you're teaching that. But the, the other thing I would add to that is not only maybe are they not looking at those metrics in real time or even at all, but I think some of the, the things that we measure are just incorrect. Hmm. We're not measuring the, the way that our customers define our success like FedEx does with turnaround time, like like Disney puts happiness. Drive-throughs with drive-through wait time and stuff like that. Exactly. We're not measuring the right things. Mm -hmm. And that that's a problem. It is well. a problem. Absolutely. Um, you did another course about customers don't value accounting services and how to change their mind. And, and, and before I ask you to explain that, did it did it start by saying first, before we change the customer's mind, we have to change your mind, Mr. or Mrs. Professional? Well, I didn't say that, but the entire thing was that. So um, so the best way that I can explain that webinar is it is 80% your book, Firm of the Future, with credit given to you during the webinar. So, so that's a, if people want to go read Ron Baker's book, Firm of the Future. So I started out with the Cobb Value Curve, talked to them about why they don't your clients don't value their services. And, and one of the reasons is their services are like everybody else's services. They have the wrong problem on the x-axis. They need to move to the left. And then why don't they value your services? Because your services don't have a high relative value. They need to move up on the Y, right? So, 
so, um, and, and then of course, you know, I, I, I use that as the launching pad to base so many things, whether it was um, differentiated um, nature of your services, differentiated brand, um, but also, you know, what do we say when we mean advisory? Is it just that we're being more analytical, but still not delivering an outcome to the client? Or is it that we're connecting what we're doing to actual wealth generation? And, and so throughout the, the deal, I said, well, you change their thinking by providing that connection. So you don't just say, hey, I'm going to analyze your financials and sit down with you once a month. They don't care. What they, what they want to hear is, I am going to do predictive analytics on your accounts receivable to determine which ones are in jeopardy, which ones need to be leaned in in the morning. I'm going to reduce your bad debt expense by a projected $20,000 a year. That's what they want to hear. And um, when you've done that, not only are you doing something almost no other bookkeepers do or tax or accountants do, um, because they don't do cash uh, accounts receivable analytics that are predictive in nature, but you're also high relative value. You're actually putting money back in the bottom line and increasing their wealth. And I'll tell this especially to bookkeeper. And by the way, if that sounds like rocket science, there's a product out there called Tally Street that does it for you. It's like the technology's there. You just have to go find it, right? So, so if they were to put something like a Tally Street on it, look really, really smart. I go into with bookkeepers particularly. I will say. Um, bookkeepers, you're struggling to get people to pay you, you know, $2,000 or $3,000 a month to their books, right? Some of them, they even see the $1,000 a month as a sound barrier. I said, but it's a lot easier to charge $3,000 a month when you're saving the client $20,000 a year. Right. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You brought up the beloved value curve by Bill Cobb. Ed and I had dinner with him in Houston. It was a great privilege to be able to meet him. Um, Another question, Joe, I, I just did a keynote in Arizona and got a lot of questions around talent. Now, I know a lot of um, people that will come to your conference are, 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 are sole proprietors, but some of them hire. How are, how are you advising that they handle competition for talent? Yeah, and that's, 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 that, that's a problem that's not just for bookkeepers, it's across the board. So whether, whether it's a bookkeeping firm or a CAS department, um, I have not found a way to manage that um, well. And so I had to build an answer for them because I couldn't have the problem be unaddressed. So I, we partnered with Walters Clore um, and they had purchased a XCM recently. Um, so they have this Cadillac of shared service centers. And uh, the problem is it's not right-sized for firms under the top 200. So we now have a unique relationship with Walters Clore where we can distribute their shared service center in a way that's right-sized for small firms. So the way I'm addressing it is in a partnership with Walters Clore. Um, and uh, we just launched that program in November and we already have 60 professionals engaged in it. So that tells you exactly how big the problem is. Um, but of course that only takes care of part of the problem and only takes care of the most uh, basic kinds or maybe up to an intermediate level of work, uh, whether it's tax or bookkeeping, because we fractionalize both. It's that more advanced level. So what I'm telling our, our firms is, is promote from within. So take your people that know what they're doing now, make them account managers, manage the book of business serviced by the Walters Core Center. Uh, we may call that a bridge to get to a better solution in the future, but the bridge is at least there now. Um, and, I, and I've seen a, a rise of this, not with just with Walters Clore, but even when I was at BDO Alliance, probably 10% of their exhibitors were these shared service centers. And I think good or bad, we can debate it all day long about its merits. I think this is at least going to be the five-year 
solve for the problem until technology catches up or the market recovers with, uh, with talent. Let me ask you this, and we've only got 30 seconds. I think that one of the things that has to happen is these firms are going to have to start paying more. Bottom line, they need to, you know, they're working these people Which means really the clients hard. have to start paying more. Well, yeah, it goes back to your business model, your pricing, you know, strategy, all of that. But we got to raise the wages. I just read a truck driver at Walmart can make 110 grand a year. Yeah, we're not paying our people enough and it's because our clients aren't paying us enough. That's right. We're undervaluing our service. Well, Joe, this is great. Flying by as always. Folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to ask TSOE at verisage.com. Check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com where you can see uh, full show notes on all of our shows and upcoming show previews. And also rate us. Uh, Give us a rating. You can go to rate this podcast slash TSOE. We will read it on the air good or bad. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on the Soul of Enterprise. Of course, we do have a Patreon channel now, patreon.com slash TSOE. And that Patreon channel is sponsored by 90 Minds. If you need a mind, get one at 90minds.com. And they are great, especially if you are a Sage 100 customer. Joe, uh, wanted to ask you about this. Just a quick reminder, you were talking about with Joe, with uh, Ron about Disney. And uh, I was reminded of a great quote that I heard about them that says, if you can be off task as long as you're on purpose. And exactly I'd like right. to get you to respond to that. What do you? Yeah, think about so that? I'm so glad that you teed that up because that was uh, the the core of the Disney course that I took. It was a course on branding, and I thought, well, okay, they're going to help me to build my logo or something like that, right? I didn't know anything about branding when I went. This was so many years ago, and uh, the entire time they were talking about three words: vision, mission, and purpose. 
over and over again, vision, mission, and purpose, vision, mission, and purpose. And I was like, okay, at what point are they going to help me to figure out what I'm going to do with this logo, right? And, and I realized what they were doing was so much more important than that. So they plopped us down in the middle of Epcot in the summer with these special iPads, uh, teams of three. And they said, um, we need you to document with a photo uh, our, our team member, our cast members, they call them, our employees, uh, going above and beyond their job description. And you have 20 minutes. And we thought, 20 minutes. Yeah, this is Epcot in the summer. You can't walk across the street in 20 minutes. What are we going to find people going above and beyond their job description? But when we all got back, we got on the bus, we were comparing notes. We found three, another team found five, not one team found zero. One of the ones was a powerful story of this woman who with a hairnet and the whole thing, the, the plastic apron, putting pastries, uh, pastries on a, on a plate. She saw a little boy holding money in his hand at the confusing turnstile. Uh, parent probably watching from a distance. Parent wasn't with them. She came down. She got eye level with the kid. She said, how can I help? She walked through the line with him, helped him count out his change off to the, to the, to the table. He went, she went back, put, uh, started putting the, the pastries back on the plate again. This is a minimum wage worker, right? So, so what do they do? Right. And this was the big question they asked ourselves. What do we do? What's the secret here? And they, they wouldn't tell us the secret till we got back, but they said the secret is, purpose. And the secret is that third part, vision, mission, purpose. So Disney's purpose statement is we create happiness. And every single Disney employee knows that that is the purpose for their reason that they are there, whether they're the person inside of Mickey Mouse, spoiler alert, there's a person inside of Mickey Mouse, um, whether they're that person or whether they are the person flipping uh, French fries, they know they're there to create happiness and it's connected to that. So, um, so, yes, that's what they mean by that. That lady at that moment was off task because it was not her job to walk a child through the turnstile. But she was doing something more important than being on task. She was on purpose. Yeah, She was making that little boy happy. Yep. Nope. Yep. Great stuff. So I, I want to on a back, back out. We, we, we started with uh, very specifics of what's happening at Scaling New Heights. And you talk with Ron about concerns about the, the industry of uh, professional bookkeepers and accountants. And, and I know you think a lot about this stuff, including the conversation we just had about Disney. In business in general, uh, let's call it United States. It's at least limited there, I suppose. That's where we have our most experience. What, what are your concerns for the future about business? Yeah, I'm, well, I'm concerned uh, about the fact that small businesses um, are there. There, there's not a lot of opportunity for them to, to break past the barrier of. And I don't want to sound like I'm like this is a political statement. Past the barrier of taxation and regulation. So you know, I'm a small business owner. I've got 30 employees. And so, you know, across the 25 mark, you know, very soon I'll cross the 50 mark. These are thresholds that every business owner knows uh, increased levels of regulation. Um, personally, you know, I'm, and, and by the way, I love driving on pretty roads and I love having an army to protect me. And, you know, I love the fact that the government's here and has programs that, that protect business as well. I, I'm not anti-tax. Um, but, but at the same time, if you're looking kind of a person like me, take me as a textbook example, um, the best you can compute it, I keep maybe about 25 cents on the dollar of the revenue I generate between my company and the salaries I take from my company and sort of the, the, the mixture of those things. And, and OK, it's, it's OK. It's all right. Um, I'm making it. Uh, and some would say that's great because I have more than than others. OK, whatever. But 
the question that that I would ask of small of people that are looking at this thing is, um, how much more could I do? How many more people could I employ? Um, how many more accountants can I empower to, to 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 run stronger firms? How much more can I stimulate the economy if I had more capital left over to do those things? And then what might that do to stimulate more taxes than what the government is charging me? So, yeah, I'm I'm really concerned about that burden and the weight of that burden on the shoulder of small business. Yeah, I got into something on Facebook with, with somebody this bit about this whole, well, you know, you're just describing this trickle down economics. I'm like, no, 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 no. You have no idea. It's actually trickle up. Is what it is because it, it's people who are creating these new businesses that are that are going to to create the new stuff that happens in the in the economy. I mean, what I, I find interesting, curious as to your reaction to this, all the people that, that that especially the technology firms that people complain about today, none none of them are more than fifty years old. Like it's not like these people have been entrenched players for centuries. So what are they? What are they thinking when it comes to this? Well, you know, the, the, they're, they're, there's no way that we can't well, that we can can dislodge Facebook. Let's say, hmm. yeah. So well, and, and you're right. I, I think um, as if it's going to. I don't know if that was more of a question or comment, but I'll kind of respond to the comment. Mm-hmm. And that is that um, that it's easier, I think, sometimes for the technology players because the ability for them to scale revenues disproportionately to cost, server cost, or whatever they have a certain they have a certain breakthrough moment. Um, but you know, when you're dealing with professional service companies, it's much harder for them to leverage their capital, um, and it, and therefore, it's harder for them to get that return on equity. And so, and and I think it's not just us. I think it's anybody that's moving widgets off shelves, or anybody that's you know that that's the pushing lawnmowers around. It, it the soft the software industry once they reach a certain tipping point, often that tipping point is pre reached for them through capitalization that isn't available to other segments. Um, I read somewhere that 50% of VC funding last year went to FinTech. So, you know, the, 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 the general rank and file small business just does not have the ability to push through those barriers to get to where they can have um, those leveraged, that leveraged wealth. And therefore, I think the only way to get them to a position of stability is to release that pressure off their shoulders. And that pressure is coming from above. And, and let me ask you this: you bring, you bring up fintech investment and and all this, and and we just just had a conversation about purpose. I'm going to link these two together. Ron and I often talk about the fact that that the that the purpose of businesses is is not not to not to make a profit. That's the result, right? The purpose the purpose is something else is to create happiness. All, all of the things that people go into business for, but. The, but we observe this thing and we see people making profit and say, well, that's must, they must be in business to make a profit. And that's, again, just the result. That's the price of the future. Mm-hmm. The one challenge that I, that I see happening, especially with, with regard to growth, as you describe it, is once the, once the, fin, once the, the, the VCs uh, get involved, I think what they do is they push for, they, they push for the return on investment so quickly they flip the the purpose becomes the result. Yes. So when you're just talking about economic mm-hmm. return, yep. Then yes, the software companies have an advantage. But when you're talking about being purpose driven, then they have a disadvantage because the VCs are not purpose driven companies. Uh, maybe if you're an outlier out there, don't be offended. But I'm speaking statistically, right? They're not they're not purpose driven companies. So um, so you're right. That's that's the rub. 
And that's why you get a lot of these, these businesses that are small businesses um, that, I, that really are operating somewhere in the realm between the altruistic and the capitalistic. And, um, and that's not a bad realm to, to operate in. As a matter of fact, it may be an ideal realm to operate in. But unfortunately, it's a dangerous and under-rewarding realm to operate in, not just financially, but if we think about it as the, the, the part of the point of a purpose is to scale the purpose. If, I, if I'm Disney and I can create happiness, what if I can create more happiness? Our purpose is we empower small business advisors. What if I can empower more of them? So, you know, scale isn't just about money. And, and the barrier to scale is still, I mean, what is it? It's, it's, it's capital and it's execution. It's a validated idea with a capital with execution. Well, we have the validated ideas. We have the execution. It's just that capital barrier that so many small business owners just cannot break through. And when they do break through it, Ed, they break through it with extreme exhaustion and extreme risk. Yeah. Well, I not to let, let's see if we can br- bring us up a little bit because I've it's been the last part of the conversation has <laughs> been a little bit depressing. So I, so I so I asked you what your concerns are, but I, I have this concept, Joe, that I like to talk about. You know, people talk about future shock. Um, I say I like to say I have future glee. Like mm. I, I, the, the future can't come fast enough for me. I want more more of it sooner. What do you have future glee about? Yeah, I have future glee uh, about the fact that we can elevate and we can and we will elevate like, the accounting profession and bookkeeping professions into into business coaches. Um, and some people use the word advisory, but advisory is a loaded word. So I'm just going to say these people that are wealth builders. Um, and I know it will happen. The question is how many of them will make the transition? How many of them will have retired by the transition happening? But it's going to happen because the technology and the scaled players in the space and tax and bookkeeping are going to force it to happen. They're either going to force you out or force you up. And so I'm excited about the future and everybody who wants to be a part of that future um, of people being wealth generators, not compliance officers. And since I'm closest to this profession, they're near and dear to me and the people in it I love dearly. Um, I'm excited for that future for them. Anything uh, more, more, more general business in, in, outside your industry that you're, you're, you're excited about? Yeah, I'm really excited about the, the day when we use absolutely zero fossil fuels. And yes, there's an environmental impact of that, but my primary driver on that is just that it's, it's a more efficient way to power our lives. Um, and uh, it's just a more modern way to power, power our lives. So I'm a big fan of everything Elon Musk is doing, as well as the developers of cars like Lucid. Um, I, I want to see uh, now the electronic uh, jets and planes. Yeah, I want to get. I want us to get that there. And I, and I believe. With, are you good with nuclear power? Uh, I am actually good with nuclear power if it's managed very, very well. It has been very, very, very carefully managed, of course. But yes. Uh. All right. Well, we are up against our final break. Want to remind you, you can contact Ron or me by sending that email to asktsoe at verisage.com. We also have ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE, where guess what you can do? Rate this podcast. That's what you can do at ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. 
These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and download Oh, oh my fraud. fraud. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Joe Woodard for the fourth time. And, and Joe, you know, Ed and I have been talking a lot about the subscription business. That's what I'm going to be talking about at Scaling New Heights and all my sessions. And I have a theory to run by you. I think bookkeepers will be early adapters of this business model. More so than, say, CPAs or accountants, because I think bookkeepers understand that it's really about the relationship and i'm not so sure accountants understand that well a lot of accountants are starting to but you're right um i think the biggest thing uh, that will help to drive that is yes they're very relational they have an advantage though uh that they they interact with the client all the time and often in a very operational and professionally business sense a very intimate way so so they don't have any choice but to have a relationship. It's it's almost quasi-employee stuff, which means we struggle on the other side with that employee mindset. Um, but but they can take that and turn it into a strength. The other thing that's in the benefit to the bookkeeper here is they already charge by the month. So now it's just about it's not about a billing system or a billing expectation. It's it's just a pricing and packaging barrier that they have to get through. But now you take that and you translate it to a tax practice that doesn't do any tax analysis, they have to take a, a one month long touch point that's transactional in nature with a one time transaction price, turn it into a relationship, figure out how to charge something every single month, as well as now repackage, right? They've got three lifts and the bookkeeper just has one. So that, yes, I agree with you. The bookkeepers will adopt faster. Right. Yeah. I, 
you know, it's just uh, the, the, what's really stark to me now is this distinction between the transactional mindset, scope of work, all the things that we're going to do for you versus the relational mindset. No, no. Hey, it, it, whatever you need, if we can do it and, and you do have to draw a line around that. There's scope, right? There is scope to everything. Yeah. It, it, scope in terms of what I'm competent, do care. What, what CPAs call do care. Mm-hmm. If I, you know, you don't ask a general physician to do heart surgery. That would be a violation of due care. Um, but I just see that, you know, just, hey, if we can handle, if we can take care of it, you're taken care of. And that's what the subscri- subscription economy is all about. Yeah. I mean, you use the example, I'm sure you brought it up on the, the show before, of what Porsche is doing right now with their subscription model. That's a really good example, right? It's, it's no longer focused um, on, on the ownership of the car or the traditional transaction of buy a car. It's, it's, it's how can Porsche service your audio needs, by the way, with a Porsche, right? So, um, yeah, and, and, and I think we're going to start seeing more of that and more of, of I'm getting more than I could ever have expected, while at the same time, I'm willing to pay more than I ever thought I would. And that's a really good combination. Right, it really is, because it's just a different business model and a different profit formula. And our, our even our traditional gap income statement doesn't deal with it very well, so... I'm, I'm really looking forward to uncovering all these issues. At, uh, well, and I'm at, sure you're going to cover this in your breakouts, but I think the biggest barrier, and, and I want to make sure that if you're not planning on covering that you do, because this is what I'm hearing from my attendees, is they're looking at it as uh, they're looking in a subscription model too much at the individual profitability by client. Right. And you can't do that. Can't you do have that. to play to the medians. You have to understand for everyone that overbites on that apple, somebody else is not even going to bite the apple. And then and it's, so it's going to be profitability by um, by practice or then maybe by, by profitability by business unit or segment or maybe maybe down to trying to measure which of your your team members are producing the most within those profit sectors. you got to look at all that stuff. But but profitability by client um, is it's going to cause you to to brace fear it's going to cause you to try to mitigate risk uh, disproportionately, and you want to adopt the model. Right. You know, it's, it's about profitability across the portfolio. Yes, what you're it. really doing in building a subscription business model is you're creating annuities that have a lifetime value greater than the cost of acquiring them. And that's the new profit formula. And I think that's really hard for us to get our head around if we're in a transactional margin driven mindset, especially if it's, if it's by client or by engagement, engagement's even worse. Right. So, so the one I use uh, that I think a lot of folks here will relate to are those, those darned issues that you have to handle, you know, the tax notices throughout the year, things like that. Um, people don't send them to you until there's an intent to levy because they just don't want to pay the bill. They'll send them to you the second they get them. If they don't have a, if it's not transactional, so I use this, this is a great example of almost being like, like having uh, notice handling insurance, issues handling insurance. So you go to every one of your, your tax clients, you say, okay, well, the tax return's in here, issues handling is in here, um, X number of tax analysis engagements are in here, and maybe that varies a little bit based off package. Do I meet with you quarterly? Do I meet with you semi-annually? Maybe it's even up to a certain number of issues you handle, right? It's okay because those are the different packages. I have up to amounts with my health insurance, right? It's I have packages. But the point is um, you put all those together. Well, there's going to be one person that has maybe, you know, Nexus in 14 states or something, and they're going to get 10. Um, and there's going to be, you know, uh, 50 more of your clients that don't send you one, right. right? And if you just think of it that way, 
just like an insurance company, you have people's premiums paying other people's health bills and it works. It does work. Yeah. In fact, it works at a better scale, I think. But yes, it does uh, with better margins. uh, I'm going to ask you a question, Joe, that I was recently asked on a podcast interview because I I just it really does make you think Um, if you were starting a firm from scratch today, bookkeeping firm, accounting firm. Now, I was asked, what would you do different? But I'll just ask you, what would you do? Yeah. Well, and, and too, I do, I do still have a consulting practice. We have nine team members. We have 20 ERP implementations going right now simultaneously. Um, and I've got a head of ERP who runs that. We have a Microsoft practice, right? So yeah, you can ask me in the present. And what would I do differently? Because I've been in that business for 20 years uh, doing IT consulting and inventory consulting. Um, and the, uh, the, I, would be, I would have developed a change order system a lot faster, a lot faster than I did. Um, I, I went out of scope. I didn't have, a, I didn't even know about protecting scope. Um, and when I did learn about protecting scope, I didn't know how to do it. Um, so now we have not only, uh, we're not only quick draw on the change orders and we're, we're hyper protectionists of scope. We have systems in place where we can push out a change order in less than five minutes. Hmm. Um, and, and, and then no change order is too small. I tell people if it's a $50 change order, you send it. Because in the Middle East, there's a saying that if you let the camel's nose in the tent, you get a camel in your tent. <laughs> and it's much more colorful than our inch and a mile over here in the West. And some of you guys have camels just that have just sort of sat in your lap forever because you just didn't protect that nose. Um, yep, that would be the one big thing I would do differently. Oh, and I would have hired faster because I tried to do all the field work and lead the business and stuff too long, even after I had the, the profit to hire. Um, and that caused me to have quality assurance problems in the early days that I didn't deserve. So there's, there's two. That, that's a big one because you, you're saying basically you would have put capacity in front of revenue. That's exactly right. Or, or at least in front of higher margins, right? right. I would have, I would right. have taken a hit a little bit on those margins. Sure. Awesome. Well, Joe, I know you love to read. We've got about a minute. What books have you read that since we last spoke? Yeah, well, they're not ones that would be of particular interest necessarily to to your audience because I've been in the in the frame of mind over the last quarter of reading more uh, more parenting books. So I'd love to be able to share things with you, but I'm not sure they'd be particularly insightful since our last conversation. <laughs> the same books, Joe. It's the same the, books. The same thing. It's, just, yeah. uh, my, it's true. It's true. Yeah. But I will tell you in 30 seconds one of my favorite teachings out of a parenting book. The parenting book said that the unintentional parent lives between two realities. Uh, making their child happy and responding when their child makes them unhappy. And when I read that, I circled it and I said, accountants too, because that's the world that they live in with their clients is back and forth and back and forth between those two realities. And if you can break that cycle and the break the cycle as a parent, you intentionally make your child unhappy from time to time. Just ask my 14-year-old daughter if I do that, because I'm, I'm trying to, to do the best thing for her, not the thing that makes her happy. Maybe if we did a little bit more of that, maybe our, tell our clients that it's time to fire somebody, tell our clients it's time to shut down that warehouse, tell them what they don't want to hear. Um, right. That might be a little better. Give them a timeout. Well, Joe Woodard, thank you so much for coming on The Soul of Enterprise. We'll see you next month at Scaling New Heights. And Ed, what do we have coming up next week? Ron, we don't know because we had a guest cancel on us, so we're going to have to figure that out, of course, of the week. <laughs> I do have a couple feelers out. We'll hopefully have uh, either a wonderful guest or you and I will have a wonderful conversation. All right, excellent. I will see you in 167 hours. 
This has been the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. Sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next Friday at noon Pacific, that's 3 p.m. Eastern. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk.